Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Lucy Ide, uh, CEO and founder of Remedy Health. Come on. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Great. Great. Thanks for having me. Out of Atlanta. So I'm in Boston, just in case I didn't tell you. I don't think I did. And so we're getting cold. Hopefully Atlanta's beautiful as it always is for you. It is. You know, we're complaining how cold it is because it's 50. So yeah. 50 yeah. chilly. Not cold. <laughs> <laughs> Still beautiful. So um, I know a lot about what your company uh, does because I did some some research, obviously, before our having this conversation. But I also know that it's crazy to start a company. There's easier ways to get a job in life. And um, usually people that get something started from zero uh, have a reason for doing it other than going and getting a job. And I'm kind of curious if that's the case with you. Um, yeah, this is a frequent refrain of mine. If there are much easier ways to make a living than being an entrepreneur, especially in healthcare. Sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I started my career in tech working, uh, for the government and intelligence on sort of communications technologies, um, went into venture capital, investing in technology, decided that was not for me and that I wanted back into science and became a physician. Um, and actually that I'd be an academic clinician. Like that was the long-term plan. I did the whole MD, PhD, you know, um, going to run a lab, see patients, teach, and found healthcare just so maddening in its inefficiencies when I sort of got out into the wild. Um, and in part, as it relates to tech, to what we both do, um, it was the time when electronic health records were really expanding in the market. Um, and so I did the go live from like paper chart to electronic health record, something like 13 times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time I was sort of banging my head against the wall, like, how did we screw this up so badly of what could have been and right. what we actually did? So I can tell you that story if you want it, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can explain to me why, why we screwed that up so badly, that would be great. Um, yeah, so that that's part of what drove me to leave clinical practice and start a health tech company. When you, uh, you know, because listen, I, I, I agree with you on a lot of what you said. I think healthcare is so inefficient. I, I think back, so I'm a business school graduate of all the courses I took on efficiency and quality and value streams and uh, Deming and how to make things better. And I, and it, uh, it, it is frustrating. What do you think is the most inefficient thing about healthcare from your perspective? Um, well, maybe let me turn that around and say, I think a lot of the inefficiency is driven by the payment model. Right. Right. That we've had this transactional system that pays us for doing things to patients. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of this behavior, if you have to go into a clinic and sit in the waiting room and wait to be seen and, you know, and and it's understandable from a business model, right? If given how the money flows, right, health systems and practices sort of have to follow the money. So I think that's what drives a lot of the inefficiency is that highly transactional billable events model. And so when you went to start um, your company, what what aspects of the Presumably, it was to change something about healthcare or to offer uh, the opportunity for healthcare system to change. What what part of the healthcare system did you did you want to change? So I have become really interested in chronic diseases and why we have such a hard time 
sort of matching up all the science and evidence to the individual patient, right? We, we put billions of dollars of research money, NIH money, into understanding things like diabetes and hypertension and all these different chronic diseases. We understand them pretty well, and then we execute on it so poorly. And part of why, part of what I wanted to fix was, well, what if we could help that clinician in that moment understand you know, how does all that evidence relate to this patient who's in front of me? And how do I make a very data-driven yet personalized decision about this patient's care? Because I think that would help address the efficiency problem of, you know, how do we get that patient to their health goals more efficiently, more quickly, you know, in a better experience? How do you treat a chronically ill patient today? Like, and when you say chronic illness, there's, there's mild chronic illnesses and there's not so mild chronic illnesses. And we know the mild chronic illnesses often progress to be severe, right? right. How, how are those patients, I'm, I'm very curious, how do you see those patients being treated today, if at all, or are they just people coming to the doctor when they have an adverse symptom? Well, this goes back to that sort of transactional model of reimbursement, right? It's sort of these artificial constraints that we've put, um, you know, that you need one wellness exam a year. And if you have poorly controlled diabetes, you should be seen four times a year. And that's pretty arbitrary, right? Because that individual lives with their poorly controlled diabetes every day of the year, not just the four days a year when they see their doctor. So it's this very episodic care delivery model that is mismatched to the constant day-to-day living with a chronic illness experience. And, you know, so one thing we have, you know, been working on for many years before it became kind of a hot thing during COVID was, you know, it's more continuous care models, remote monitoring of patients, proactive management, you know, virtually of these chronic diseases. And how do you think the patients feel about how they're cared for? Do they, I'll make, I'll make a statement and then you can refute or I think patients don't like going to the doctor and don't like confronting their illnesses. Um, I would agree with that. And I would say, because I think it ends up being an experience filled with a lot of judgment. Right. Yeah. It's getting called to the principal's office, right. And being told all the things you're doing wrong. And, and, and so I think that creates this dynamic, right. Of I don't really want to know my numbers. I don't really want to go in because I'm just going to be told that I didn't lose the weight or I didn't, you know, test my blood sugar or I'm not following the diet. And we have to flip that around to, you know, these buzzwords we've used, patient-centered care, all, you know, all this, you know, shared decision-making. Like we've used all the words, but we haven't actually done the work that that represents. Yeah, I'll tell you a personal story. Like when I know I'm going in for my annual exam, like I, th- I go on a diet like three weeks before because I, I, I know I got a couple extra pounds, right? And I'm just like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there and he's going to tell me my weight looks good and they're going to congratulate me. Then I'm going to go off and I'm going to eat too much for the next 11 months or so until I have to go back again. Now, that may not be a problem for some people because they're healthy and they're just a couple of pounds. But it's interesting in my mind where I'm like, yeah, I know he's going to tell me to lose a couple of pounds. So I'd rather just have the pounds lost when I get in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think back to your question of like, what did I want to change? I felt like there was a lot of, at the time that I started Remedy, there was starting to be all the dialogue around consumerization of healthcare and sort of this move to push the responsibility onto the patient, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at these chronic conditions and, and people sort of throwing up their hands and saying, I can't, I can't be held accountable if this patient, you know, doesn't do what I tell him after he leaves my clinic. It's not my problem. And, you know, as a physician, I felt like this is a, this is a partnership. It's a two-way street and 
we we can't shift all that blame on the consumer. There's some great technologies, great companies, great innovation happening in that space. But I was really interested in how do we innovate in the care delivery aspect of that and the care delivery half of that equation and make sure that you know the health system and the provider is like teeing that patient up for success as best as possible. And then yes, we need the patients to be engaged sure. and proactive in their care, but it takes both parties. It does. I yeah, it, and I'm and and so I'm I'm curious about your view of the and we can go because I know what I know where you're headed, but it, it's it. What is your view of the patient's desire to be engaged in that process? Do they want to be? Do they are they reluctant to be? I I don't know the answer to that question. I'm I'm very curious as to what the experience is clinically. I, I think we all fundamentally value our health. Right. We, for different reasons, but maybe it's because we need to be healthy to work and provide for our families. Maybe it's because we want to be around for our children or grandchildren, but like all of us at some sort of evolutionary level want to survive. Right. And we care about our health. Um, I think all of the labels that get put on people about being non-adherent, non-compliant, non-engaged is due to barriers that get in the way of taking care of our health. And those can be environmental barriers, like ease of eating crappy food um, versus healthy food, or it can be barriers to, you know, affordability of medication to, you know, access to good healthcare and being, you know, put on the right medication. So I'm an optimist. I really truly believe um, that we all care about our health um, and that our job as innovators is to strip away those barriers that get in the way. Okay. So let's go to, because I think this is a, this is a very common concern um, that isn't, that I would agree with you is not handled well. And my experience in seeing how it's handled leads me to believe that it won't be handled well without some sort of new ideas. So clearly you're coming to the table with some new ideas. So what were the thoughts that you had in mind as to how you might be able to impact this issue? Um. So one, if you kind of go back to the, you know, advent of electronic health records and basically taking, you know, paper charts and just digitizing them into electronic charts, you know, that really wasn't anyone's goal. I mean, yes, we needed to digitize data, but in the process, we sort of didn't think about, or at least didn't have whatever incentives were necessary for people to build the technology to optimize how we use that data. I mean, who cares about the data if we don't use it properly? So yeah, really the vision was you know, what story is that data telling and how does that data help me as a physician or a nurse or a pharmacist make that best decision for this individual in front of me? Because if, if I can't do that for every individual, I can't move the needle on the whole population and, you know, meet the quality payment objectives or whatever, you know, my organization is trying to do. So that was sort of a simple premise, right? That we need IT systems that do what humans don't do very well, which is to, you know, aggregate and analyze and curate and um, and present the necessary data in a very efficient manner when the doctor has three minutes to make a decision. So how does that, how did that evolve into your company? So wh- where is your company sitting in that, in, that, yeah. in that world today? Yeah, so we provide sort of a suite of solutions to healthcare delivery systems. So both big health systems as well as independent practices, um, we layer on top of their electronic health record. So we're deep into the interoperability work and space. Um, you know, EHRs aren't going to go away, right? That is the record of authority, but we've got to put the tools on top of that that make them usable and efficient. 
Um, and, you know, we provide these tools for managing both chronic diseases as well as some, you know, just preventative measures of health. Um, we facilitate sort of filling in those gaps, what's happening with a patient when they're not in the clinic through remote monitoring, through patient reported outcomes, um, and sort of unifying all of that data and then providing the decision support to help that clinician kind of answer the so what question. What do I do next? And so if, so how, what is it, what is the use case? Give me the day in the life of, of your company and how it sort of gets in out, how it operates within the care delivery system uh, activity. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, take like a, you know, federally qualified health center who, you know, take care of patients with um, Medicaid primarily. Um, those patients tend to over-index in these chronic health conditions, hypertension, diabetes, obesity. And so, you know, they've especially had more intense barriers to care due to COVID, right? A, a population that had a hard time accessing healthcare now has an even harder time accessing healthcare. And so a clinic like that, we have a, a lot of those that we work with, you know, they would use our software layered on top of their electronic health records. They log into their health record and it feels to them like it's just an upgrade to their EHR, but it's actually us, um, our screens and our data that they would be using um, to maybe monitor their patients, say with poorly controlled blood pressure. So we would help them identify, you know, here are your 150 patients with poorly controlled blood pressure. You're going to, you know, send them home with a connected blood pressure cuff. They use it, it transmits all that data to the remedy system. You're going to send them some screening questionnaires and surveys on a certain cadence that we facilitate. And then we're going to aggregate all that data for you to really efficiently identify, you know, what do you need to do to close gaps in care with these patients? You know, whose medications need to be adjusted to get their blood pressure under control? Who do you need to actually make a phone call to or send a text to because they haven't tested their blood pressure in a week? I mean, it's it's that dirty work right at the front lines of healthcare that right, right. has to be done. And and what is what is the incentive for them to do this? So what why what's in it for the provider? Yeah. Um you know, so we're, we're still on this journey to value-based care, right? Yeah, sure. We've been on um, for a while, right? We were going to call it capitation 25 years ago, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And we work <laughs> with some capitated systems who've been capitated since you know the 70s, and they, yeah. they absolutely know what they're doing. But um, so I think of it as, you know, where are we embracing clinics and providers on that journey? Some of them are already there on capitation. Some of them are way at the beginning of the journey, and so, you know, the government and payers have thrown incentives at them, like paying, you know, paying them to remotely monitor patients. That's now a billable activity. So their incentive, sort of their on-ramp may be that they can actually generate revenue now mm -hmm. by proactively managing these pit populations of patients. Um, but I do think of that as an on-ramp. You know, that's not the end game. It's just a means to facilitate them being able to behave in a more value-based way. Um, and then if you go further down the spectrum, they're doing this because they have certain quality measures they need to meet based on their payer contracts and they're not meeting them, right? Enough of their population with hypertension isn't well-controlled or doesn't have a reading or their diabetic population isn't well-controlled. And so they're trying to move the needle on that population metric and they've got to touch those individual patients to do that. So it's interesting in, in, in the, so as a doctor, MD, I'm assuming you would want to do this regardless of whether you get reimbursed, particularly if it were automated and easy, right? Because it would be um, sort of in line with 
presumably some of the reasons why you became a physician, right? Which is to, you know, save people's lives, basically, or or to help them. But you have a you know, go back to your original comment where you said the payment model is what contributes to the inefficiencies. And the question and the question is whether you have to go into a, a provider organization and demonstrate that you're either going to reduce their costs of care if they're capitated or improve their risk share if they're getting upside or maybe maybe there's an efficiency number or prove that they'll be able to earn more revenue, substantially more revenue than the cost of your application and services to use the product. Is that that is really your go-to-market obstacle, if you will. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. And you're right that there are um, there are big efficiency incentives, right? There's this huge uh, workforce crunch right now, right? You can't hire nurses. Right. There's just enough of them. You know, there's a primary care shortage. There are doctors. Where do they all go? <laughs> they all, I don't know. Um, you like know, the one thing I don't want to do this. This was, yeah. I didn't realize I was going to be facing a deadly virus every day. Right. It's better right. I mean, I was just in a health system in the Midwest who was telling us, right, that they, they had 20% of their physician workforce retire during COVID. And it was a 20% of really experienced doctors. So as they've had to backfill them with greener doctors, sort of the need for systems and decision support and standardization is even greater because, you know, they've still got to deliver the same level of quality that they were delivering with a more experienced and sophisticated workforce. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, how are you doing? So, how how are the, how how's the market been receiving your products? Um, how are your customers doing? Are they starting to be able to demonstrate value? And and and, and three part question is: How are the er the electronic health record companies responding to your product? So maybe let me start there. Um, you know. The EHRs, I think it's a mixed, um, it's a mixed reaction. On the one hand, they have to cooperate, right? Due to 21st century cures and the interoperability mandates, um, they sort of have to open up their data via APIs to partner applications. Some of that do that, some of them do that more willingly than others. <laughs> um, and view it as an opportunity. Um, I think others do it because they have to. Um, but that's been going really well. I mean, we've you know like tripled the number of EHR integrations that we have in just this past year. Um, we're you know in those marketplaces. We try to make it really easy for the client because we've done all the integration work kind of before we get to them, and we can just turn it on. So I think that piece is going is going well, and that ship has kind of sailed in terms of EHRs information blocking and, and not allowing for third parties to connect. Um, and then your question about the clients, um, you know, it's a lot has happened in healthcare in the past almost two years now. Right. Um, and one of the major things was everybody being thrown into the deep end of delivering care virtually, right? We went from this minuscule adoption of telemedicine, much less remote monitoring to now, I think everybody's looking towards the future and saying, this is here to stay. And so how are we going to do it in a scalable and sustainable way? And based on what we did during 2020, 2021, what do we keep doing and what do we um, change? So we've had a lot of clients um, expanding, frankly, because they say, you know, maybe they expanded with us or started with us during that time period. And because, you know, 
we have sort of multiple solutions in the suite. We can grow with them from one disease state to another and we integrate to their EHR. Um, it's, it's really helped our business because, you know, it's, they can start with us in one area and then we can grow with them if they grow their programs. Excellent. So um, last question before I offer you a promotional opportunity, if you'd like to take it. Um, a lot of people that listen to these conversations are either starting or thinking about starting their own companies and they're always thinking about doing it in healthcare. So I like to ask particularly um, companies that are sort of in the middle of that journey, what kind of advice do you have for somebody that wants to go start the company besides don't do it? Yeah, besides there's an easier way to make a living. Um, You know, there's a good um, quote that an an Atlanta-based entrepreneur who does a lot of blogging had that I shared with my team last week, which is, you know, be obsessed about your customer and be informed about your competition. And I I think that's a great way of thinking about it. If, you know, I, we try to be, you know, keep that focus on empathy for the patient and for the end user um, and be sort of obsessive about our customers and our customer experience. Um, because when I started the company, that was one of the reasons I got into this is I, I had actually gone back to venture capital for a time period and I was looking at investment opportunities. And I'm like, none of these people know what problem they're solving, right? They don't know the actual experience of the doctor, the nurse, the patient, whoever they're building tech for. So I always encourage people at the beginning of the journey, um, you know, if, if you're not bringing a personal experience to it, even if you are, you know, continue to listen listen more than you talk, you know, build other people on your team who bring that perspective, you know, other clinicians, other patient advocates, um, because at the end of the day, you've, you've got to build a great product um, that makes the life easier for either, you know, whoever your end user is, whether that's a, a provider or a patient. Very good. Well, thanks for, for joining us today. And um, tell us where can people find out about you? Are you on Twitter? Um, Facebook, LinkedIn, where, where are you guys posting most of your information? Um, so you can find us on Twitter at join the remedy, R I M I D I, um, or LinkedIn, or just go to our website, remedy.com. Great to meet you, Lucy. Thanks for your time. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. If you enjoy these types of conversations and perspectives, then we as the podcast producer encourage you to check out the related DHIS East Summit at dhis.net slash east. For 10% off the conference registration, please use the discount code DHIS podcast.